0: Good evening, like Luke said, my name is Mark, one of the pastors here, and it is definitely a privilege uh, to open up God's Word with you tonight. Um, you know, when uh, Luke first responded to that email I sent him and gave me the, uh, the text and the theme of the sermon that he wanted me to preach, um, my, and I found it was on communication. My first thought, and this is not a joke, my first thought was, Sweet! I have a lot to say about this. I, and, and it's not, I don't think it was like this super prideful, I'm so awesome, I've got so much to offer, but it's like, I, I, this is something i thought about a lot, uh, it's something I talked to a lot of other people about, how people work through, and, and uh, there was a part of me that was like, man, this is going to be easy, Like, this sermon's going to write itself, and I've got a lot to offer, and, uh, and then it got really awkward because I was going through the stages of preparing for the message and came across that verse from Proverbs 18 that says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And <clears throat> there's a little bit of that uh, anticipation was dampened and uh, kind of looking ahead at that and realizing the truth of what that says, but also it's a little bit of gravity to this. This is a really important topic, but I want to acknowledge just on the front end, uh, I'm fully aware there's a little bit of irony to this moment, right? I'm going to spend a good chunk of time uh, with you tonight communicating to you about communication, right? So I, that's a little awkward, it's a little ironic, I get that, I want to acknowledge that, but, but my hope is that at the end of tonight... Um, all of us, myself included, will be both challenged and equipped uh, by what we'll be examining in the book of Proverbs related to the topic of communication. And the theme of the series we've been going through is wisdom in dizzying times, and I, I can't think of anything much more dizzying right now in our culture, in our society, than communication, or at least our attempts at it. You know, if you you turn on any radio station, any sort of news, anything from sports all the way up to NPR. Turn on any news station on the TV and listen to the anchors, CNN, Fox News, wherever you are in between, all that sort of stuff. And what you find is a lot of hot takes and not a whole lot of informed opinions. What, what you find is a lot of people that are just talking to, to be really loud and get people to tune in and you know clickbait sort of thing that you see on the internet, but not a whole lot of people that have thought things through and are having healthy conversation together. we have social media uh, that constantly preaches to us, you're the most important thing. The thing that matters more than anything else is getting your opinion, your thoughts out there for everyone in the whole world to see, and social media gives us 13,000 different platforms to be able to do that. You know, the other thing that I think inhibits and, and really causes us to kind of go into some regression as it relates to communication is our technology. Almost everybody in this room has a smartphone with access to the Internet, right? We got phones, we got tablets, and they're on us all the time. You know, when you're driving to work, hopefully it's not in your hand, but I see a lot of people, and it's steering with one hand phone in the other, and gosh, I really hope your eyes are straight ahead, right? Phones are everywhere. You're putting kids to bed, and you're, you know, brushing teeth with one hand, and reading the last article, or seeing this, you know, blog about parenting, and it's like, hey, put down your phone. I'll do that later, right? So communication is messed up by even the technology that we have, right? Think about Think about the new iPhone X. Has anybody bought the new iPhone X? Is anyone here willing to admit that? So, Thomas Bates back there in the corner, it's not a huge surprise. We had one guy, one other guy at 1045 also, but Thomas bought the new iPhone X. I've been watching all these commercials, and something that people are really excited about in the iPhone X is animated emojis. Right, right? animated emojis. So, it's a little picture of something, a monkey or a dragon, a unicorn or whatever, and you talk to it what you want it to say, and then you send it to somebody, and it talks to them for you, right? It's like we've, we don't even, even want to talk to people anymore. If you poll my generation and younger, most people are more comfortable texting someone than actually talking to them in person. But now we don't even text them words, we text them pictures. It's like we've regressed into hieroglyphics from ancient Egypt. We're going backwards, <laughs> not forward, right? And, and we are not, as a culture, as individuals, as a church, We're not great at communication. We need help in this area, and thankfully, God's word offers a lot of wisdom uh, that we want to listen to tonight, and we want to begin to think through and implement. But because I want our time tonight to be formed more by God's spirit, working through God's word, and not as much by my opinions going out there, I think it'd be wise for us to pray together before we get started. So will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the communication we have from you, which is incredibly clear. God, pray as we work through this topic tonight and see what Proverbs has to say um, about communication, God, pray that you would give us wisdom to see where we need to apply things, where we need to grow. Uh, God, help us to listen to you. Pray that your spirit would move through me this evening. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so I learned a phrase growing up, and I'm pretty sure that most of you are familiar with this phrase as well, but we'll try it out. I'll say the first part of it, and you say the second part. Right, sticks and stones may break my bones, but right, anybody in here actually believe that's true? Right, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now, I remember the first time I heard that, and I thought I was a kid. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right, (laughs) sticks and stones. What? Here's what I think the intention with the person that came up with that statement. I think what they're saying is, I'm so mentally and emotionally tough. That it is impossible for me to be affected or hurt by your measly little words. Right, but that, that's just not the case. Right, that's, that's not the way life works. Right, so here's the thing. When it comes to broken bones, right, those are things that we can often kind of go back and laugh about because there's some story that goes with them. Right, and so think back to oh, the old football injury. Oh, yeah, I blew out my knee, but I did it making the game-saving tackle. Oh, I broke my wrist skateboarding. Oh, here's the x-ray and here's the little scar that's there from where I had surgery. But it was, you know, it was when I was practicing trying to nail this super difficult trick and it, it all paid off because I finally got it. Oh, yeah, I fell off the pyramid at cheerleading camp. Not me, I was just an example, right? <laughs> so we have these stories that we tell about the broken bones and injuries we have. And the reason we can tell those stories and laugh about them is because the injuries heal. They heal and it allows us to kind of go back and have some nostalgia about some more adventurous time in our youth. But we can laugh because they heal. That's not the case with words. If I gave everybody in here a minute, every single one of us in this room could come up with some example of some incredibly hurtful and damaging words that someone has spoken to you. A lot of you probably don't even need a minute um, because that pain of what was said to you is still so intense or still so fresh that it's right there with you right now affecting you crippling you shaping you it's amazing our, what our brains seem to do is just kind of put that stuff on repeat and and the strangest thing that's not even connected will trigger that and remind you of this thing that somebody said and bring back the pain of that all over again every one of us has a story like that you know when i was uh when i was younger i'll save a lot of details just to protect some different people involved when i was younger maybe 12 13 years old i'm sitting at a congregational meeting at our church um, now, we don't do those here, a little bit bigger church, but some smaller churches, some denominations do congregational meetings where everybody gets together, talks about stuff, votes on things. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and one of, the, one of the wives of one of the leaders in the church gets up on stage, and she looks directly at me, and in front of everybody calls me out um, with this absolutely terrible, false accusation about my character. It was untrue. It was unhelpful. And it was just humiliating in front of everybody. Absolutely crushed me. And it had this lasting effect that took more than a decade for me to work through with a lot of different people kind of talking with me about it. And what it did is it created this distrust of God and church and other people because of that thing she said in that moment. It took her 10 seconds, and I was done. We all have some kind of story like that. You know, words Matter. Communication matters and it fatter, matters far more than we even realize. Right, so, what we're going to do today, because this is so important, is we're going to approach this topic through the wisdom that the book of Proverbs provides. And specifically, we're going to look at two people, five questions, and one solution. Two people, five questions, and one solution. We'll start by looking at this contrast between two people that has kind of been happening all throughout this series in Proverbs. We have on one side the foolish person, and on the other side the wise person. Now, something that's interesting in these particular passages that we're going to look at is the language isn't limited just to talking about this person as foolish or wise. It it begins to add and expound on these terms, and, and I think that actually adds a little bit of urgency to the importance of exercising wisdom in the area of communication. So we don't just see the fool on one side, but we also see them described as not just foolish, but wicked and evil. On the other side, we don't just see somebody who's wise, but they're also described as prudent and even righteous. So we're going to start by looking at how Proverbs describes the fool in terms of how they communicate with others and the effect of their words. So, characteristic number one of a foolish communicator is that they bring pain to themselves and to others. The foolish communicator brings pain to himself and to others. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or think about my story. That wasn't a sword thrust. That was a decapitation with a broadsword. right? And there are moments, and some of you have done this to other people. Some of you have had this done to you, but there are moments where The rash words of someone is that sword swinging down that just slices you to the core, right? And a lot of times it's on purpose. It's, hey, they did this thing to me, and I'm going to get them back. I know the one thing I can say that's just going to absolutely crush them. It's going to make them feel so guilty, and I'm going to pick the right time, the right setting. Boom, there it is, right? But there's also, (laughs) it's not just one big thing, but there are often times where, it's these over and over and over again comments and jabs and phrases and complaints and critiques and nagging and all these things over and over and over again that pile up and it and instead of being this quick decapitation, it's like death by a thousand cuts. These sword thrusts over and over again, and we do it with our kids. They're, in school, how many times have I told you the stick goes on the other side of the letter? Why can't you get this already? We do it with potty training. We do it with our students and teenagers and their attitudes and just these little jabs over and over again. Why don't you, why can't you get this right? We do it with our spouses. The complaints and the nagging just reminds them over and over again, you're not doing it right. We do it with the people that work with us. We do it when we complain about our bosses, but these words that we throw out over and over again, sometimes they decapitate, sometimes they're a little thrusts over and over and over again. But it's not just that our words hurt other people. They can be self-destructive as well. Proverbs 10.21 says this. It says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. When we are senseless and careless and thoughtless with our words, when we do things that hurt people, we're not even thinking about it, when we say little comments and make some joke, that isn't the wisest thing to do, everything's on the line relationships integrity reputation influence everything is on the line we are foolish and senseless and careless with our words think about the person that gets branded as a racist or a sexist because of some throwaway joke or comment they made that the wrong person overheard now the reputation is shattered think about the relationship with somebody in your family Right, That, that you, you said the wrong thing and it just came out of your mouth and oh, I shouldn't have said that and now there's a bridge or a gap between the two of you that, that's never going to be crossed. And it's ruined your relationship and it's not just affecting them but it's affecting you. We don't just destroy and hurt others with our words. We hurt ourselves as well. And we don't set out to do that. That's not our goal. When we start in life and relationships and communication, we don't start out going, how can I ruin this? Right? That, that's never, n- nobody with a normal brain is thinking through, how can I ruin this? Right, but, but we see it happening everywhere. We see it in our own lives, we see it in the lives of other people. Why is that? Why is it so common? And I think one of the main reasons that happens is because of the second defining characteristic of a fool in communication is that the fool can't wait to speak. The fool cannot wait to speak, and not just that, the fool's uncomfortable with his own silence. Oh, I gotta say something. Proverbs ten nineteen says this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Uh, I like this verse. It feels like a little bit kind of tongue-in-cheek quote of like, hey, the more you talk, the, digger, the deeper you're digging that hole. Every time you keep trying to explain, say something else, the hole gets a little bit bigger. Uh, there's a number of ways we see this play out. Think about the politician that's caught in some sort of scandal. What's the first thing they do? They call a press conference. And they have some statement prepared, that is all of the reasons why either A, they didn't do it, or B, it's not as bad as you think, right? And, and here's all these, oh, and it was this, and you oh, I didn't really mean to say it, you misunderstood, I misspoke, oh, yeah, I forgot to use this word, right? And, and you can picture, you know, I am not a crook. I did not have relations with that woman. Right? That's, a t- that's a terrible Bill Clinton impression, right? I can't, I can't do any better than that. I think about our current president, he fell asleep while typing a tweet, and he writes kevfefe, right? And, and, and he can't just go, hey, I fell asleep, right? So then his press secretary comes out, well, that word has a special meaning to his cabinet and clothes, like, we all know that's baloney. Every single one of us sees through that, and, and, and what they're doing is, I, I can't stay silent, I can't, I gotta, I gotta explain it away. And every time they do that, they're fanning the flames, trying to fan the flames away, and we just see smoke that keeps rising, and where there's smoke. There's fire, right? Where words are many, transgression is not like it. I gotta describe it, I gotta explain it away. And the ironic thing is we see this in everybody else, really clearly. We don't ever want to see it in ourselves. Right? I have I have I've sat in the counseling room with with couples where, where one spouse is confessing infidelity to the other. And it's a heartbreaking moment. Uh, but what makes it even more heartbreaking is the spouse who's confessing says, Hey, I did this and it was wrong. And then they say, but. And then the but is followed with a dozen other things that either explain, justify, or attempt to explain, justify, minimize, or defend themselves for what they did. And a lot of times it has to do with blaming the spouse that they sinned against. Well, you did this, you said this over and over again, you made me feel like blah, 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 you weren't available. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking. In that scenario, and so many others, the only two words that should come out of your mouth are, I'm sorry. And leave it at that. Because when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Right, there's another way that we see uh, this truth play out, a foolish communicator that just can't wait to speak. And it's, it's a little bit kind of change of pace here, but, uh, but there's a lot of people that have this insatiable desire to insert themselves into the story right it's it's I'm not actually listening in this setting right now I'm just anxiously waiting for when it's my turn to talk right, and I could I could try to tell some stories about this but I think that the best example and picture of this is uh, is this uh, little video that I want to watch uh, I think will paint this out really clearly so let's watch this together maybe it wasn't because I made the mistake of
1: trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled and I learned a lesson don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail. You will never complete one. Trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two I had four pulled. Oh, okay. No five, no nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled him out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as. Okay. Yeah, you, me. You, me. You see the difference? You see? You see that?
0: Now I do. Right. So, so that that's funny. But it's true, and by the way, I had two wisdom teeth removed. I just didn't tell anybody a couple weeks ago because I had seen that before and I knew it's pointless to tell that story. <laughs> right? But, but we all know somebody like that. Right, we can think of somebody like that, think, think of somebody like that, and I bet for, for some people in this room, you might be the person they think of. Right? The person that goes, when is it my turn? When is it my turn? Is it you me? Oh, let me tell this, oh, I can top that. I want you to think more highly of me. I want you to think that I'm more experienced, that I'm better. There's even a twisted way we do this. Where it's like, oh, my pain and what I've experienced is worse than yours. Oh, I, I've suffered this much. I've done this thing. I've traveled here. We do this, we do this thing where we have to prop ourselves up and compare ourselves to other people. And, and we just, when's it my turn to talk? I can't wait to speak. How oh, the silence is making me uncomfortable. I need it on me. Here's my story. Here's this thing about me. By the way, the other place where this sort of thing happens, which totally drives me crazy. Uh, and so please don't ever do this or at least tell me that you've done this. Um, don't ever propose at someone else's wedding reception. <laughs> That's like the ultimate picture of going, yeah, yeah, this is a nice moment for you, but me, right? And we do that in little ways, in big ways. And the fool says, I'm uncomfortable with silence. I got to talk. I either got to cover up and explain away so that I'm not wrong. And so people don't think poorly of me, or I got to, tell these stories and insert myself in and make people think more highly of me. And it's foolish. Why do we do this? Why do so many people do this? Why do so many people struggle with this? And it's because the fool says, my voice, my opinion is most important. What's ultimate is that I am able to express what I want to express. That you hear me. That's the most important thing. Social media does not help with this. Social media, blogs, everything says, by all means, you should have every platform to do this. Right, Proverbs 18.2 says, uh, the fool only takes pleasure in expressing his own opinion. There's no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. The fool says, you need to hear what I have to say. Right, this, is a, this is a huge issue for me. I'll be totally honest with you. This is kind of the whole list, the thing I struggle with the most. And the way it plays out in kind of decision-making process, either at home, uh, kind of talking through stuff as a family, or you know, t- talking through stuff as a staff and decisions that need to be made. Uh, if, if I'm not given the opportunity to express what I think about it, but, but even more so, if nobody has the common sense to ask me, hey, Mark, what should we do? That's sarcasm, by the way. Right? If nobody goes, hey, Mark, we need to know what you think in this moment. And I don't get that chance. There is one word to describe what I feel. And it is indignation. How dare you? How foolish are you not to include me, not to seek my advice, because don't you know, my opinion is what's most important? I don't know anything about that, but I should still have an input. Right? And, and, but that's what's in my heart. And it says, me, my voice, my opinion is most important, and it's foolish. But a lot of us lean that direction. Here's the the fourth characteristic of a foolish communicator. This is my favorite one. The fool lives in an echo chamber of confirmation bias. What? What does that mean? So an echo, right, you say something, you bounce off the wall, comes back to you, you hear it again. Somebody that, that lives in an echo chamber only surrounds themselves with people that think the way they think and say the same kinds of things they say, right? So the boss who is a fool in this capacity, he will only hire yes-men that think that whatever he wants to do is obviously the best thing. Right? That's an example of an echo chamber. But well, the fool is an echo chamber of confirmation bias. There lots of, some of you may have heard that phrase before. Somebody, you know, some people have no idea what that means and are thinking it's weird. So I want to actually read, uh, buckle up, this is going to be a long quote, but I want to read from Encyclopedia Britannica this definition and description of confirmation bias. I think it'll help us be on the same page and understand clearly. So here's what Encyclopedia Britannica says. Confirmation bias is the tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with one's existing beliefs. This biased approach to decision-making is largely unintentional and often results in ignoring inconsistent information. Existing beliefs can include one's expectations in a given situation and predictions about a particular outcome. People are especially likely to support their own beliefs when the issue is highly important or self-relevant. Another reason people show confirmation bias is to protect their self-esteem. People like to feel good about themselves, and discovering that a belief that they highly value is incorrect makes people feel bad about themselves. Therefore, people will seek information that supports their existing beliefs. Confirmation bias is strong and widespread, occurring in several contexts. In the context of decision-making, once an individual makes a decision, he or she will look for information that supports it. Information that conflicts with the decision may cause discomfort and is therefore ignored or given little consideration. People give special treatment to information that supports their personal beliefs. In studies examining the my side bias, also known as confirmation bias, people were able to generate and remember more reasons supporting their side of a controversial issue than the opposing side. Only when a researcher directly asked people to generate arguments against their own beliefs were they able to do so. This is the good part. It is not that people are incapable of generating arguments that are counter to their beliefs, but rather people are not motivated to do so. I, I geek out at this stuff. This is fascinating to me. But, but here, here's what this looks like. When Proverbs twelve fifteen says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes." This is this is the foolish person saying, "I have already, through my personal wisdom and my experience, arrived at a conclusion about what is right in this moment, this topic, this issue, whatever it is. This is this is not just what I think. This is what's right." And therefore, if you disagree with me, you are wrong. To be right is to be good. To be wrong is to be bad. And the fool who lives in this echo chamber of confirmation bias is only going to surround himself with people that say, yes, you're right. I totally agree with you. And, and, and what's going to happen then is any time that someone is faced with information, opinion, research that contradicts or is inconsistent with what they've decided is right, we do one of two things. One is... We block or unfriend that person on Facebook. I've done it. Right? So we, blo- we say, no, I'm not going to listen to it. Nope, can't hear you. Or we go crazy and we somehow twist and reinterpret this information that is clearly contrary to what we believe to make sure that in some way it actually does support what we believe. That's That's confirmation bias. And the fool lives in that echo chamber of confirmation bias and is completely closed off to anything that contradicts what they've decided to believe and where they've landed. There's a, there's a huge thing going on right now in our culture that I think is a perfect example of this. Uh, and in the NFL, National Football League, uh, there are a number of people, a um, number of players on just about every single team that have chosen to uh, protest in some way, shape, or form, um, usually during the national anthem. So they will sit, or they will kneel, and some of them will actually stay in the tunnel and not come onto the field. And they'll do this protest during the national anthem. Right now, now these folks, starting last year and up through, you know, including, you know, everything that's been played today, uh, these folks have said multiple times what they are protesting. They are protesting oppression of minorities. Racial injustice, many other social issues, police brutality, there's all these things that they say, hey, these are issues, and we need to protest so that we can bring awareness to these issues so that people will talk about them, and hopefully we can see changes made. The timing in which they've chosen to protest is, hey, it's going to get a lot of playtime if we do it now. And guess what? We're talking about it now, so there's some sense to what they're doing and when they're doing it. They're right in that regard. And they've said, here's what we're protesting. And yet, a lot of people, including a lot of people in this room, when you talk about this issue, here's what we say. The anthem protests. They they never said they're protesting the anthem. They're protesting during the anthem. But many of us have decided, you're protesting the anthem. It's the anthem protests. And then what we've landed on, many of us, is we've said, you hate our country, you despise our freedoms, you hate our military, you hate our veterans, you're disrespecting everybody that serves, but all these sorts of things. And, and because we have decided this is what we want to believe, we stop and we go, "You protest the anthem, I'm out. You're not worth listening to. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm not open to anything, and when somebody tries to talk about it, I 'm either going to get mad or I 'm going to ignore it. Here on the other side, you have the people that are protesting and and they've chosen a moment to protest. They've chosen a means of protest. Agree with it or disagree with it, that's not the point. But what's happening here is these people are protesting and they're saying, we want to begin to have a conversation about all this stuff. And on the other side, folks that are protesting and supporting this protest are getting really angry because they're not being listened to. And you have a whole chunk of people in our country and in our church all over the place that are saying, you don't matter. You hate people. You don't care. You're terrible. You're disrespecting. And they and so then we're getting mad over on this side. And we're saying, well, hey, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't care that you find this offensive. I don't care that it's being perceived in this particular way. If you're not going to listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. And I'm going to be over here and I'm going to yell. And over here, these people are doing the same thing. Well, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. And we've got two warring factions Lots of people entering into this debate. It would be amazing. A lot of you might think that a lot of the church is over on here. There's a lot of diversity in church and kind of how a lot of people feel about this and where we land. But What's happening here is you have two groups of people doing the exact same thing, living in an echo chamber of confirmation bias, getting angry with each other, ignoring any input from the other side. And they're so loud about it and so crazy about it. That the few people in the middle that are actually trying to talk about it and bring about change and address some of the issues that were being attempted to be brought up in the process in the first place—they're being overlooked, and you can't hear them because everybody else is yelling super loud. That's what it looks like to live in an echo chamber of confirmation bias. Well, well, I don't care about the NFL. All right, let's talk about homeschooling. <laughs> let's talk about vaccinations. Let's talk about essential oils. Let's talk about you know, the type of music we do at church. Let's talk about how often we should take communion. Let's talk about why do we only have coffee. Let's talk about little things, big things, and everywhere in between. We have a tendency as fools to take a hardline stance on something and close ourselves off to anything else that's different from what we want to believe. We surround ourselves with people who are like us, and we go, yeah, I'm comfortable here. But the problem with this is that it prevents us from listening to, engaging with, understanding, and loving the people who are different than us. That's a dangerous and foolish place to be. So the conglomeration of these first four characteristics of a fool are all wrapped up here in this last characteristic. Is that now, because of all these other things, the fool has now become undesirable company. But think about it. The person we just described, all these things, at best, they're thoughtless and careless with their words. At worst, they're purposely, intentionally destructive and hurtful. They constantly interrupt, make every conversation about me, dominate everything. They don't listen. They're always right. They're not open for any kind of discussion or debate. It's a pain to try to talk to them, right? Who wants to be around that kind of person? Would you ever invite that person over for dinner with your family and go, hey, we'd love to spend some time talking with you? No. The fool has become undesirable company. Right, Proverbs 10.20 says this. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. They add value. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. They add nothing. The reason the fool is undesirable company is because they bring no value they don't add any depth and value to the relationship, to the conversation, to the community, to the group, whatever environment that's in. So we're going to make a quick turn here, and I'm actually going to put a, a slide up on the screen that's going to contrast the fool with the wise person. And we're going to walk quickly through uh, the five ways that a, a, righteous per- that a wise person uh, communicates. And right, so on the left hand, we've got the, the foolish person, the wicked person, the evil person. Well, the wise person brings hope and healing to himself and to others the wise person's constantly thinking through not what do i want to say but what do they need to hear what can i bring in this situation this environment this painful experience what can i bring that's going to what can i offer that's going to bring hope and healing encouragement the goal is not for me to express myself that's the fool's goal the wise person's goal is to encourage and be a blessing to the person you're with I actually was the recipient of this. Uh, on Friday night, we had our, uh, our chili cook-off, which was awesome. And I was uh, sitting there with my three older kids. Uh, my, my twin girls were at home because one of them had gotten sick, so my wife stayed at home with them. And uh, there's a 10-year-old boy uh, who I know from our kids' ministry, and he you know, came over and sat down with me for a little while and was just asking me a bunch of questions. And, and when he found out, he's never met my kids. He didn't even know I had kids before this moment. When he found out that my daughter, my 11-month-old, was sick, his shoulders dropped and his face gets super sad. And if that would have been all that happened, that would have been a blessing to me to see that, that he was physically affected and hurting for my little girl. Right, but, but he didn't stop there. It wasn't just this nonverbal communication. Then he looks at me and he goes, can I pray for her? Here's what's really really bad about this is uh, I hadn't even prayed for her myself. And here's this 10-year-old boy is, <laughs> he knows me a little bit, but doesn't know my family. He goes, hey, I'm really sad that your girl is sick. Can I pray for her? He takes 30 minutes. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and he prays over me and over my daughter that she would get better, that we'd be able to have a fun weekend together. Right? This, is the, this is the age group that we would typically look at and scoff at because they're their kids, they're immature, they don't have wisdom. And in this particular moment, he had exponentially more wisdom than I have. It was a blessing, and it brought healing and peace to me. Now, there are definitely times where what needs to be said isn't necessarily what people want to hear, right? There are times where the loving thing that someone needs is correction, rebuke, reproof to be pointed out, hey, this is not a good place for you to be. This is wrong. The wise person in this moment cares just as much about saying what what needs to be said as they care about the skill and tone with which they say it. I've... I've seen this happen too often, I've done it myself. I've seen a lot of people do it, but I think what a lot of Christians tend to do is we give ourselves an out with the truth. And so what happens is we'll, we'll be more than happy to bring that correction, that rebuke. right? Think about the way you talk to your spouse, to your kids, your employees, "Hey, you've done this wrong, and it's this heavy-handed kind of harsh thing, and it leaves them crushed because we were jerks. But the wise person says, "Hey, I know that they're not going to want to hear this. This is going to be difficult for them. How do, what can I do that's going to really communicate to them on the front that I care about you. I want what's best for you. So that when I bring this difficult thing, they'll be more open to hearing it and receiving it. The fool says, hey, all I did was tell the truth. It's not my fault they're not mature enough to take it. The wise person says, I'm going to try to avoid that situation. Not butter somebody up. i don't let them know how much I care. So they'll want to hear what I have to say. You know, one of the reasons that a wise person is able to bring this kind of hope and healing with their words is because, unlike the fool, the wise person can't wait to listen. The wise person can't wait to listen. They're listening not to respond. I'm waiting for you to stop talking, so it's my turn. The wise person listens to understand. I want to know who you are. I want to know where you're coming from. I want to know what your passions are. I want to know what's hurt you in your past. I want to know your experiences that's led you to this point so that I know how to speak, so I know how to encourage you, so I know if there are some things I shouldn't say. The wise person can't wait to listen. The wise person also says it's not my voice that's most important, your voice, your opinion is most important. Right, we, we talked about that verse that the fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The wise person says, hey, there might be value to my opinion. There might be a good point at which I need to get, put that out there. But first I need to listen, and I'm okay with, with hearing everybody else's voice first. And Even if I don't get a chance, it's okay. Right, there's, a, there's one of our pastors on staff, his name is John Cronwald, and he really embodies this well. There, there are moments where we'll be in a meeting talking through some stuff, and we've been going for like 15 minutes. And then we realize John hasn't talked yet. And so usually Luke or Matthew or somebody will go, hey, hey, John, you've been awfully quiet over there. What are you thinking about? What do you think about this particular topic? And 99 times out of 100, when John begins to speak, wisdom just comes pouring out of his mouth. Because he's waited and he's listened and he's observed the dynamics of other people in the room. And he's been thinking about Instead of so just blurting out his initial thought, he's been thinking about what are all the ripple effects this thing could have? And then, when he is given that chance, here's what I think, and wisdom flows out of it. But he knows, hey, the most important thing isn't for my voice to be expressed, it's for everybody else to be able to get on the same page with this. That's more important. The wise person seeks the counsel of others. I talk about the fool likes to live in a chamber of, you know, echo chamber of confirmation bias, and says, hey, the fool assumes I'm right about this. I don't need to hear anything else. I already know I'm right. The wise person says, there's a really good chance I might be wrong. Or I might be, I might not have all the information I need to take a step in this direction. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ask some people who know more than me. I'm going to ask some people who have walked down this path five years ahead of me and see what they think. I'm going to reach out to people that are different than me and have different backgrounds and experiences and political leanings and all these other, I'm going to try to get some, some feedback and some counsel from folks that are different than me because I, I might be wrong. So the wise person seeks the counsel of others. And then finally, the wise person is invited in by others. Right? The fool is, is company that no one wants. The wise person is invited in because they've displayed these other four characteristics and that's the type of person you want to have at your house for dinner. That's the type of person where you go, hey, would you, would you come over and, and join our group? There's just a couple of folks that are really having a hard time and I think that, They would really be blessed by your presence. Hey, can you come and meet with this guy with me? The wise person is invited in because they're able to bring hope and healing and listen well and understand and not jump to speak. All right, so we got this list up here. Where are you? Right? And most of you in this room have probably you know, been looking at this and going, oh, I'm like 60 here, 40 here, oh, I'm, you know, or uh, you know, one and two, I'm not so great, but three and four, I'm, I'm kind of on the wise side. We, we try to evaluate ourselves, just natural for us. Where are you on this list? I want to give you five questions to help you evaluate and think through where you are, where you might lean more towards foolishness, where you might tend more towards wisdom. Uh, and what I encourage you to do also is not just answer these questions yourself, but take them to people that are close to you. You get their feedback and input as well, so that you can get a more well-rounded picture. And so here's the first question. When you begin to talk, do people lean in or out? This speaks to the presence that you have in a room, in an environment, in a conversation. When you start to talk, do people go, oh, wow, I can't wait to hear what they have to say? Or do they go, oh, shoot, I don't really want to hear this and kind of tune out? Be a good indicator of something to look at? Second question Do people see, feel safe sharing personal things with you? If you can't remember the last time somebody shared personal, intimate information about themselves and asked you to hold that in confidence, maybe because you're not trustworthy, because you've exhibited a lot of the foolish tendencies. Third question Do you care more about understanding others or being clearly understood? What's more important in a moment to make sure that you can express yourself and, and explain every little thing so that people understand exactly where you are or for you to be in there and go, hey, I really want to understand what they think. What's more important? Fourth question, are you listening to anyone who disagrees with you or is different than you? We should all have people like that in our lives, whether it's relationships, people, podcasts, stuff we read. It's good and healthy to have Outside influences that sometimes are different than us and even disagree with us. Last question, when you enter the room, does the depth of conversation increase or decrease? Right, so so does the time fly by so quickly because the conversation's gone deep? Oh my goodness, it's 10.30 already. I didn't feel like it was more than 20 minutes. Or when you walk in, kind of enter that room and that conversation, does stuff kind of die out because people are on eggshells around you and don't trust you? Those are some good questions to ask. But we've got some areas that we realize we're foolish in. So how do we, how do, we do something about that? Where do we go with that? A lot of us will go, I just need to try harder. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to put on calendar reminders, whatever it is. And, and you can make that plan, and you can work really hard yourself. And for a while, it'll work. It'll be effective. And then you'll get really tired because the pressure is on you to do it all yourself. And you get so tired and you'll fail and you'll fail again because the pressure of having to live up to the ever increasing standard you set for yourself. And then you'll crash and you'll burn. So I don't think we can start there, just doing better and trying harder. So I think where we need to start is understand that, that both people in this situation are motivated by love. The fool is motivated by love for himself, using other people and using his words to prop himself up, feel better about himself, make a name for himself. Fool's motivated by love for self. The wise person is motivated by love for God and for others so if we want to grow in our love for God this is the solution if we want to grow in our love for God and others in the area of communication the best thing we can do is meditate on how God in the gospel is lovingly communicated to us it's the best thing we can do, start there God lovingly communicates to us visually, just look at our beautiful creation, yeah there's some brokenness in it look at this beautiful world I was talking to somebody earlier about Colorado and just, it's God's country right? The beautiful creation he's given us to live in and enjoy and cultivate, take care of. It's a visual expression of God's love. God has lovingly communicated to us sacrificially through sending his son, who John calls the word of God. God speaks to us through Jesus, who takes on flesh, lives a perfect life, dies a painful death in separation from God, and is raised again on the third day to give us victory over sin and death and restore relationship and communication with God. God has sacrificially loved us through Jesus. God lovingly communicates to us continually. It's not just this once in a moment, here's Jesus, and then he backs off. But he gives us the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit does a number of things, but there are three things that I love most. There are times where we are so exhausted, fatigued, pain, hurt, we, are, we can't even get our thoughts straight. We don't even know what to pray. There's a promise in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit prays with us, intercedes with us, goes before God on our behalf to pray. The Holy Spirit gives us strength to obey God and walk in a way that honors and pleases Him. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It says, hey, turn around, repent, get back into right communion with God. This is the third thing the Holy Spirit does. That's evidence of God's continual communication toward us is that the Holy Spirit reminds us of truth. Truth that, one, we can be healed. And I don't mean kind of like, hey, whatever illness you have, you can be healed. But but think about the words somebody has spoken to you that's left those scars that you can't laugh about the way you can laugh about broken bones. There's healing available in God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth that we are forgiven because there are ways we have sinned against other people with our words that we bear guilt about. And the Spirit says, no, that's been covered. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the words that you spoke and forgiveness is available in Christ. We have a new identity and condemnation is gone. But why do we communicate foolishly? It's because we think, if I don't love myself, who's going to? But in the gospel, we see that every ounce of love, affirmation, approval, affection, pleasure, everything that we need, God has already given and continues to give us. And if I already have it, I don't need to find it in other people. I don't need to manipulate it out and it frees me up to love other people. Here's the bottom line is that experiencing God's loving communication models for us how we ought to lovingly and wisely communicate to others. But that's not all. Jesus isn't just a model and example to follow. God's loving communication models for us how we ought to lovingly and wisely communicate with others and it empowers us to do it. The gospel is what saves us. The gospel is what grows us. The gospel is what empowers us to love God and to love people with our words, with our communication. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have not withheld yourself from us, that you lovingly, perfectly communicate to us through your creation, through your son, through your word. God, help us to trust you. Uh, Help us to see that love as a gift and God, so overwhelm us with your love that it would be a natural outpouring of our just new flinches that we would reach out towards others lovingly in the way we communicate with them. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.